0: Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 12, chapter 8, I should say, Romans chapter 8. Last time I preached here, I had a, I had the major, major problem of our neighbors having, having a rip-roaring session, and guess what happened? I don't know if it's always like this when I preach here, but ne- never that to the ridge. So you guys are going to have to pray for this. So we prayed last night, and we prayed that God would do something, and, and I think the sound system backed up. So praise God for that, but after a while, there were shots fired at about 12, 15 shots. I don't know if it was the neighbors trying to keep, keep the peace or trying to keep the, the tone down. So we, we're here live without being shot. How about that? Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. I just got over bronchitis and then my wife said, My turn. So if I croak a bit, spur me on. The amen. I want some amen. Hallelujah down there. Lawrence? Yeah, amen. We were church planting in Howick and uh, we had a little bit of a misfortune. We were visiting people one night. They invited us for supper and they had a terrible driveway. You had to go down a real big ditch and come up and park in their property. And um, we left to, to, to go home, and I crunched the front of my, my car just a, a below the number plate. It was a terrible smash. We were too poor to replace it. We, 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 we took two and a half years to scrape up enough money to, um, to have it done. And guess what? A couple of weeks later, we had this freak accident that was out of our jurisdiction Um, A truck was in front of us, tire blew, and the rim flew flew out, and guess where it hit? The same spot. Were we we discouraged? No. 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 (coughs) Have you ever been discouraged? No. No. We've all been discouraged, have we not? It's universal. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about today, overcoming discouragement. Even Christians, even pastors get discouraged. The problem with discouragement is that we will never get through it, this side of glory, right? Because we're living in a sinful world and we are sinful people ourselves. So how then can we best try and handle it or cope with it better? Firstly, we need to understand the purpose of problems and difficulties. We need to understand the the purpose. Psalm 66 and verses 10 to 12 says, For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a, a place of abundance. Tested us. You refined us like silver. Every day of our lives, God puts us through tests. And he tests people through people, through pain, and through problems. Can you identify with some of those tests right now? Don't put up your hand. If you see troubles as nothing more than some unusual, unwanted kind of burden, then we are going to be discouraged and we will even become angry, and we might even become bitter. But if we see these tests as as God-given, and uh, Him doing it for a purpose, and that purpose is to build maturity in our lives and to give Him glory, then we will view every single incident as something that is special, something that is to be taken note of, and something that is to be prayed into. God has a purpose behind every single problem, every single problem. Somebody said to me, if you leave your dark glasses on on the bonnet of of your car roof and you ride off, you can learn a lesson from that, especially when somebody comes behind you and crunches your Ray-Ban or whatever it is. God has a purpose behind every problem. He uses it to build character. And he brings glory to his name. And that's why James says we must be positive, right? When we encounter these these difficulties. James chapter 1 and verses 2 to 4. It says, consider it joy. <laughs> consider it joy. I must admit that sometimes I find it difficult to consider it as all joy. And I have to go to the purposes of it. I have to go back to, why is this here? And and we often ask why, and we don't ask what. We ask God, why is this happening to me? I've, I've done that a number of times over my 50-something years of Christian experience. Why, God? Why me? Why now? Why? It's over and over. Why, 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 why? And we should be asking God, what? What can I learn from this experience? What are you trying to teach me? Because God is trying to teach us all the time. How often don't we ask God to change our circumstances? Just take it away! Take it away! Instead of asking God to change us in and through the circumstances. You see, because if God is doing a work of grace in a particular test and trial, He won't take it away until we learn the lesson. And the quicker we learn the lesson, the quicker He takes away the circumstance. There are many storms in Life, are they not? The first one kind of storm is the storm that we bring upon ourselves in our sinfulness, in our disobedience to God, in our negligence, in our wayfulness. And we do not blame God. We do not blame God in times like, Oh God, what are you doing to me? No, we're doing it to ourselves. When I reversed out of that driveway, I could have complained and I could have blamed you know, you know, it's, it was that driveway. You know, I could have said to myself or to Elaine, who was sitting next to me, "Man, if only they would do something about that driveway. How can how can people leave a driveway like that where you can crunch your car?" It's my wife. She didn't. She didn't remind me. It was my fault. Come on, I I reversed out too quickly. Duh. And the second kind of storm is that which God allows or which he promotes. Like the one on the Lake of Galilee when the disciples were in the boat, you remember. And suddenly the storm came up and they were scared. They were, they were frightened for their lives. And they said, help! And he calmed the storm, like the storm in Job's life where he allowed Satan to have his way. And, and, and Job went through a terrible time. When we compare our lives to him, we don't come close to it. But read the end chapter of Job, that the latter part of his life was better than the first. And notice what Job says and, and, and his insightfulness in Job chapter 23 and verse 10. But he knows God, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. I will come forth as gold. And the third storm is other people. You know, those other people that I work with, those other people in our church, those other people, you know, in the neighborhood. They, you know, there are so many problematic people. But, but I'm fine. But uh, they, they're a problem. Don't pray for patience because God will bring those people to you. Another way we can learn to cope with discouragement is to understand that God is sovereign and that he is good all the time. God is sovereign. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. At our family gathering at Christmas some years ago, we were sitting around the pool and... uh, I was looking at the, the kids playing in the pool. I was sitting on a deck chair, and I saw little Boaz just suddenly go underwater. I thought, oh, he's, he's going to swim underwater, or oh, he was swimming a little uh, at the age of about four. And I looked, and I looked, and he didn't come up. And we dived in and got him out, and he wasn't breathing. We pumped his back, we pumped his chest, gave him artificial respiration, nothing, no, no breathing. Prayed over him. The mother was frantic. That's Elaine's niece's child. She was screaming. I had to tell her to shut up because she was panicking. Oh! Sorry, sorry. May as well take a sip of it I better put it there. And it seemed like ages. And suddenly he opened his eyes and started breathing. Mother rushed him to hospital, and I said, don't panic now, please. He needs you to be calm for him. We've prayed. God's answered. And um, some months later, after she had consulted various uh, professionals, the one said, yes, I've been doing a thesis on this. This is a gene that comes through Bridalstorp, through people who came from overseas. It's a sudden death thing. I can't remember what the, what the thing is. It's a sudden death syndrome. And this little mite has to take with him, or the family has to take with him, a resuscitation kit wherever he goes. Because he can just, he can just go at a moment, and they have to put this thing on to get his heart start, started again. But what a joy, what a delight when, when he came back to life, you know. You know, it's like, what? Whoa! You know, wasn't God good? But would God have been good if Boaz didn't come back to life? Is God only good when he's good to us? We kind of compute that sometimes, don't we? Suddenly God is not good anymore. Look, look what he's done in my life or what he hasn't done in, in my life. And sometimes we have this unwritten, unspoken agreement with God that we will be Christ's followers if he protects me, my my family. My, my house, my finances, my health, m- my future, my happiness. Then, then we will be wholehearted in our devotion to God. But God is good all the time. He's good all the time. Psalm 18 and verse 30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. His way is perfect. When, when things are good for us, no. When things are even bad for us. He's still perfect. God's glory shines more brightly when he satisfies us in times of loss more than when he satisfies us in times of plenty. When he satisfies us in times of difficulty and people see us in the office, unsaved people, they're looking to us to see how we're going to respond, how we're going to react in a situation of loss or tragedy. And they're expecting to see something different because we claim to have God living in our hearts and in our lives. God that comforts us, God that strengthens us, He's more glorified in our losses when we're satisfied with Him and when things are going well. It's wonderful to have, have, have testimonies here, you know, in God's provision, God's goodness, but there have been testimonies by people who've gone through hell and high water, and they said, praise God, He's been with me. He's been there for me. Those are precious. Those are precious. John Piper says, no one ever said, that they'd learned their deepest lessons in life or had their sweetest encounters with God on sunny days. People go deep with God when the drought comes. That is the way God designed it. Christ aims to be magnified in life most clearly by the way we experience him in our losses. Apostle Paul had this thorn in the flesh, you remember, and he asked God to remove it three times, and it didn't happen. And this is the background to writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 and 10. This is what he writes straight in that context. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's in those moments that God comes out for us. It's in those times that God strengthens us. It's in those times when supernatural, we, we, we upheld and we can't understand it. and it, We can only explain it in the sense that it is God. It is God in our lives. He makes all the difference in our hearts and our lives. We delight in those things. It's a positive attitude, is it not? It's a positive attitude. Otherwise, it's self-pity. Joni or Johnny, as she calls herself, Erickson Tadar, has been used of God across the globe in preaching, teaching, going to schools, seminars. She had a diving accident when she was 18 or 19. She broke her neck. She paralyzed herself. She's been in a wheelchair for 40 years. She goes everywhere with the help of a helper in a wheelchair. And she says after 40 years, while the devil's motive in my disability was to shipwreck my life and my faith, I'm convinced that God's motive was to thwart the devil and to use the wheelchair to change me and make me more like Christ through it all. Isn't that amazing? Amazing, amazing testimony. I've seen something of her life and the difficulties that she experiences each day. And I'm sure that Joni will resonate with the portion we read earlier on Romans 8:18 8, i consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us and when we go through hardships and difficulties aches and pains in our old age or whatever we need to look at this verse we need to remember this verse 2 corinthians 5 uh, verse uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 18, the same thing. The light and momentary troubles we experience um, are creating for us an eternal glory. An eternal glory that far outweighs all the little snivels that we have. They look like little snivels in comparison to the glory that God gives to us. Does that bring you hope? Lawrence, I'm, I'm relying on you. Amen. I heard a groan there. There was a charismatic groan. Ron Hutchinson has this to say. If the pressure is taken off a piece of coal, there will be no diamond. Removing that irritating grain of sand from an oyster's tummy means having no pearl. Protecting an apple tree from the pain of the pruning knife results in little fruit. Pressure, irritation, and pain can be tools to develop people too, and God does just that. When Satan is out to bury us, God is out to build us. The one is out for our destruction, and God is out for our construction. Never for destruction, but out for construction. He's building us. John chapter 15 talks about pruning, and God is the pruner. He prunes so that we can bear more fruit, so that we can bear much fruit. And maybe you're going through a season of severe trials and tribulations, and you need, to say, you need to get excited and you need to say, God, what are you going to use me in? What are you going to use me for? Because those things that we go through, we can use them to help and to equip others. God is in control. God is sovereign. God is glorious. God is fair when life seems unfair. When life seems unfair, it sometimes seems like, God, you're unfair. But he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. We cannot fully understand him. If we understood all the problems and difficulties, then we would be God. We would become God. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We must never try and be, be, be God. And one day we'll know in glory that there are a couple of questions that we can ask him, I'm sure. Okay, let's become practical then. What part can we play in navigating discouragement? First of all, by living in obedience. In Leviticus chapter 26, God has called the Israelites to be his mouthpiece to the rest of the world, to be his vehicle for the salvation of the world. And he says to them, I want you to live in obedience. Live in obedience. And if you live in obedience, I will bless you in this way. I'll prosper you in this way. But if you live in disobedience, and that's the second half of Leviticus 26, this is what will happen to you. This is my discipline. This is my displeasure on you. And unfortunately for the majority of the life of Israel, over the decades, over the millennia, they lived in disobedience. They lived in disarray. They lived in rebellion against a glorious God a wonderful God, and they suffered the consequence. There were famines, there were droughts, there was war, they were deported, there was agony, and then they were restored again, and life was great, life was good, God was blessing. Okay, you say that that's the, the Old Testament, but we're living under grace, aren't we? Yes, we are living under grace. But if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, you'll see in verse 5, It says that my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a son. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Skip to verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? When you were disciplined as a child, did you say, oh, thank you, dad. I needed that. You know, give me another club. I'll take another, make it six rather, on my behind. No, it's never pleasant. No discipline seems pleasant, but it produces our harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So no, not everything that goes wrong in our lives is God's discipline. No, no, not, not at all. But we are, if we are living in blatant sin, if we are li- living in blatant disregard for God's word, His will in our lives, then we can expect His discipline. We can expect His displeasure. We can expect his intervention in our lives. There was a preacher in Switzerland who uh, preached on sinless perfection. He said Christians can be perfect the side of glory. What rubbish! And 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 can you imagine all the hassles that that he goes through, and he can't see the hand of God in it, you know, and 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 the biggest uh, disservice is to say, you know, I'm perfect. I'm like Jesus. This side of glory. No ways, Not the side of glory. God has a purpose in it, and that to bring us to holiness, to bring us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. How precious is Jesus to you? How much do you honor, do you fear, do you respect him? The degree to which you honor, fear, and respect him as our Lord and our King is the degree to which we will make those adjustments when God disciplines us. Hey, this is, ain't hey, no, Lord. I remember when I was a, 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 new, a newfound Christian, nobody there to disciple me, and I swore, like, ah! you know, it was like somebody had stuck a sword <laughs> in, in me, you know, and like, what is this? Why am I feeling so terrible? And then I realized straight away, it must be, I must be displeasing God. This this language can't be right. And I said to myself, okay, if it displeases God, then I've got to discard it. I've got to discard it. How precious is He to you? Living by obedience, living by faith, secondly. The world is becoming a much more dangerous and difficult place to live in. And we as Christians are going to feel it. Those in Europe, if you've lived in Europe, you know what that means to some extent. And um, to, um, in Second Timothy, Paul says in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. We're living in those days already, are we not? And they're increasing. Why does he do this? To scare us? To depress us? Why does he warn us about these end times? He's warning us so that we become That we can become ready. That we can become prepared. That we are not swept away when the deluge comes. Because it's coming. And we need to prepare ourselves and say, God, I know it's coming. Help me to be faithful to you. Help me not to be discouraged in that time. We need to live by faith and not by sight, right? Keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because... Chaos has begun. Chaos is coming. Much to discourage us. We overcome discouragement not by running away or not by, be, by forming a lager. Have you seen these, these, these people, um, especially in the United States, and they, they've got bunkers and they've they put food in there and they've got ammunition like second to none, tanks and whatever. You know, it's like, what? I mean, they, they're preparing. Not in that way. They, are even Christians who who uh, put themselves into communes, and and those communes don't last very long, do they? Because there's a lot of infighting amongst the Christians. And the, no, I couldn't take those acts. Run away! We we run away from families. This this niece that that I was talking about, she's got that child that's got that syndrome. She's got another child that's got another syndrome. The husband ran away. Fall in love with another woman just this last week. Said, I'm leaving you. We run away from our jobs. We run away from our countries. We run away or try and run away from our problems. Just like Elijah did. Elijah tried to run away in fear. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. After that huge triumph on Mount Carmel, where he faced these 200 and something Prophets of Baal. And God showed up in signs and wonders. Spectacular. Spectacular. But he runs away in fear. And he became discouraged, depressed, and even suicidal. 1 Kings 19 verse 4. I have had enough. Lord, take my life. Have you ever said that? Fear. Never succumb to fear. Fear destroys faith. Fear destroys our well-being in God. And he had fear, he had fatigue, and he had a sense of failure, did he not? I failed. Look at Israel. They're not serving you. No one's serving you, pity party. Yeah, there there were. God had reserved those, the remnant. Failure. He failed because he ran away. He called himself a failure. God doesn't call us a failure if we fail. He calls us someone that has failed, but not a failure. When we fail, we can come back to a wonderful father like the prodigal son came back. And we can be restored by faith. By faith. Don't run and hide. People run away from churches when things go wrong. This is the place to come to. This is the place to come to. Look at the promises of God. Read them often. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. The Lord is good. He is a refuge in times of trouble. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. Sing for joy to God our strength. Psalm 81 verse 1. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Psalm 68 and verse 19. And then thirdly, living in gratitude and in praise. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison for no rhyme or reason. Nothing that they had done themselves to bring it upon themselves. They hadn't broken the law. They just preached the gospel. And then were they groaning and complaining? Did they have a pity body? No. No, not at all. They were praising God. They, I mean, they were in the stocks, eh? I mean, it wasn't pleasant. Rats running around and nibbling you and you couldn't. You know. Wow. And yeah, they were praising, praising God. And the other prisoners heard it. And prisoners got saved. Even the guards got saved. I'm sure that the, there were others. It doesn't actually say it, that there were prisoners that got saved. But if the guard got saved, then I'm sure there were others as well. They were praising you know, when we live in gratitude and in praise, our spirits are lifted, are they not? Have you tried waking up in the mornings and just praising God? Really? It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. I use it as a daily practice, especially when I'm not feeling so good. And the aches and pains come. And I'm starting to feel sorry for myself. say. What's that? Pretty. Get 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 out. Get out. Who invited you? You gotta to speak to yourself, man. And you gotta praise. You gotta live in praise. Praise and gratitude. And faith amazingly powerful in our hearts and lives. One Thessalonians five sixteen. Be joyful sometimes? No. Always. Pray continually, give thanks. In some circumstances, no in all circumstances, not for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, do you see how we come short of the glory of God, but do you see what we have to aim for? I'm not trying to demoralize you, God never tries to demoralize you. God tries to encourage you to move in a right direction, living in gratitude and praise for Do something to help someone else, and you'll soon find that your aches and pains, your discouragements will be lessened. Whenever I've pointed that uh, out to people who come with self-pity, and they've got involved, six months later they say, wow, that was the best thing that could have happened to me. I I am so grateful, and I'm getting lost in helping other people Let's focus away from ourselves and to others. Our time's gone. The Lord bless you and uh, use this word to encourage us to be encouragers. Let's just pray and just commit this to the Lord. It's a word from the Lord to you this day. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond to it? If you're living in sin right now, if there's something that is blatantly wrong, the Lord's put his finger on it for a number of weeks, months, maybe even years. Won't you, won't you confess it as sin? David sinned against God and he said to, to God, Oh God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you want that joy back? You can have it back today. You can have that intimate relationship with God back today. Come out of the wilderness, come out. Come away from that. If you've been living in, in pretty parties, come away from that. Live with gratitude and praise. Give yourself away. Give yourself away to others. There are needy people, even in our congregation, needy people out there in the world. So thank you, Lord, that you're the God of all encouragement. We bless you that you minister to us daily. Daily you bear our burdens. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful to you. We don't live as orphans, as those out in the world. But thank you, Lord, that we can live for your glory. Thank you that we're a work in progress. Thank you that you're doing that work of grace in our hearts every day, every week, every month. Help us to cooperate with you, Lord. Make us to be comforters of others. Help us to encourage others, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you here, I don't know. If you're here and you do not know Jesus and you're living in total discouragement, come and speak to me because he's here today and he wants to come into your life. He wants to change your heart and change your life. God bless. Have a good day.